0: Well, I can't uh, start this story out without giving all the glory of my life to God. been through hell. I've been put in the fire. And without him, I would not be here. When I was 12 years old, uh, my dad, Ronnie Howard, passed away of a heart attack in my arms. It tore my world apart in a split second. Uh, no 12-year-old should have to go through that. But on the other hand, I thank God that I was there and that he didn't have to die alone. That I was the last person he's seen and that I was there for him. Even all through this, a normal person would be pissed at God. Why did this happen, God? But for me, on the other hand, even though I tried to be mad at God, it just didn't work. And it was on my, I was in fifth grade summer when it happened. It happened on July 3rd. And when I went back to school, something that hit me hard was when you get all the papers signed for your parents to get sent home to, and me just having to cross my dad's name out. I just felt like I was looked at different, and that was a very emotional point for me. So time went by, I moved a couple of times, and then I was always hungry for church, hungry for God. And when we'd move a couple of times, it just seemed like that wasn't a center of our attention and that I had a longing for God. But in ninth grade, we moved back here and I heard from some friends about the cross. So I was like, I'm going to try that out. So I went to the cross and man, this church is amazing. Everything that this church does is amazing. The longing I had for a male role model that was fulfilled with many people That was just an amazing thing to have people like Tim, like Trevor, that I can just go to with and grow and mature and the man that God wants me to be. It's just cool to see Tim's family, Pastor Tim, I'm sorry, but uh, (laughs) when you go to their house, how they are right here is exactly how they are at their house and that's just, That's amazing to see that they don't just put on a front. That they're true and genuine of who they are. Uh, This was my next trial. Uh, On May 9th, I was heading to the river. And I got in a very bad car accident. One that two inches more, I would have lost my life. And in the moment, I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. I didn't die. But after... I worked for that car all summer, that was my pride, that was my joy. And the weeks after, I became truly depressed, and I became pissed at God. I was mad for months at Him, but in this walk, we're going to be put through trials and tribulations, and it's how we get up from those that will truly show who we are. And then, now my favorite verses became Matthew 16:26. what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, but to lose his soul doing so? When you become a follower of God, he begins to show you this life isn't about you. Your whole life changes. You don't hang with the same people. You don't do the same sinful things that were fun in the moment. You can't fit in the crowd anymore. You stick out like a sore thumb. You'll be laughed at, shamed, but in the end, I'd rather be judged by the world than to be judged by God. Over the last two years, I've uh, been on mission trips to Mexico. And I feel a true calling to missions. I don't know what that looks like right now, but I love helping people. And I love seeing what God can do through us, who he's planted a seed in. And I wrote, if we we claim to follow God, why would we be scared to drop everything for him? I'm tired of people being okay with being okay. We should all strive to have a deeper relationship with God. It's truly through the grace of God that I'm still here, that he has never let me stray afar. God saved us by his grace. He has created us anew in Christ so we can do the things he has planned for us long ago. There is a calling all over our lives, so what are you gonna do with it? Thank you.
1: You know, it's been said that you can count the seeds in an apple, but you can't count the apples in a seed. It's a phenomenon. You never know exactly what God's going to do in the moment of your obedience to bring about radical transformation. You don't know. One seed planted, what is it going to grow to become? After the maturation, what does it produce? Here's a cool story Edward Kimball. I'm sure many of you have never heard his name, but Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher at a little church in Boston. And week after week, Edward Kimball would faithfully go into that class, and he would share the gospel and teach those young teenage boys the Word of God. One of the young men that attended after uh, many weeks didn't understand it, wasn't getting it. So, Kimball decided he would go down to where the young boy worked, which was in a little shoe store outside of Boston, and he would spend some time with him. So, Kimball goes down to the shoe store, and There in the stock room, as this young boy is putting shoes on the shelf, he begins to lay out the gospel with this young man. This young man repents right there on the spot, and he responds to the gospel. And Edward Kimball had a chance to lead a guy that was a teenager by the name of Dwight L. Moody to Christ. D.L. Moody would grow, and D.L. Moody would end up sharing the gospel on two different continents himself. He was a strong evangelist, one of the greatest proclamators of his day. One of the guys that he would influence would be a guy by the name of Wilbur Chapman. Chapman saw the passion and fervor inside of Moody. He wanted to take the gospel to his world. And so Chapman began to do these evangelistic crusades himself. So happened as Chapman was out sharing and preaching Christ one day that The Chicago White Sox had a day off and one of their players, a guy by the name of Billy Sunday attended. Billy Sunday Sunday attends this uh, crusade. He doesn't know the Lord. He's living in sin and he's convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Sunday responds to the gospel and he's saved. He joins Chapman in his evangelistic crusade. Billy Sunday Tabernacle is in Warsaw, Indiana, Winona Lake, Indiana where Trevor is from. And uh, He goes out, and he he begins to impact other lives, Sunday does. One of the guys that's so uh, touched by Sunday's message is a guy by the name of Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham was a young believer, but he gets on fire, and he goes, I want to take the gospel to my world just like you guys are doing. And so he began to do that. Mordecai Ham holds a crusade in Charlotte, North Carolina, He's out preaching the gospel, and there in Charlotte, North Carolina, many people attend. And this tall, slender high school boy attends. He comes one night, hears it, doesn't respond, and comes back a few nights later. And there, while Mordecai Ham is preaching the gospel, a young kid by the name of Billy Frank responds to the gospel. Billy Frank Graham. And Billy Frank Graham would go on to preach the gospel now to what we know to over 2 billion people, whether it be crusades, whether it be on television, whether it be via radio. And little did Edward Kimball know, probably that day he walked into a shoe store, that the seed he would plant would have such major impact on generations to come. You can never, never, never know What the obedience in the moment of the now might do for future generations. One act of obedience right now, when God is calling you to do something, could possibly be changing human history. Ananias is a cool story. His name means Jehovah is gracious. We find him in Acts chapter 9. Now the church is on. It's been birthed. The church is only a few months old. The church in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit has been poured out. Jesus has been crucified, buried, and resurrected from the dead. You start to read the early church in Jerusalem, and thousands of people are getting saved, and signs and miracles and all kinds of just miraculous things are taking place. And then God speaks to a guy by the name of Ananias and says, I want you to go hook up with this troublemaker by the name of Saul. The story's on. Saul gets all the ink. Saul gets all the credit. Saul, the antagonist that would turn Paul the apologist. Saul, the one who has been persecuting, will eventually become a proclamator. But we pick up the story in Acts 9 where it says in verse 1, Saul. Still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest. He asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, the way was what they called the followers of Christ at that time. If I find any belonging to the way, both men and women, I want to make sure I have the right to to bind them and bring them back to Jerusalem. Stephen has just been stoned. All kinds of crazy things are happening. So you pick up the narrative in verses 3 through 9. Saul is ambushed on the Damascus road. This bright light from heaven shines down. He's blinded. And Jesus basically says, why are you persecuting me? And why are you attacking me? And now Saul is blind, and he's kind of laid up for a few days. Then you pick up the narrative in verse 10. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus by the name of Ananias, the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. The Lord said, I want you to get up and go to the street called Straight. Inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying, he's seen in a vision, a man named Ananias coming and laying hands on him so that he can regain his sight. Ananias answered, but Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem And now he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, he's a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and sons of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed. He entered the house and after laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me to you so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, there fell from his eyes something like scales. He regained his sight. He got up and was baptized, and he was given food, and he was strengthened. Now, Ananias' story matters. Ananias has an interesting story, if you will. Let me make some just basic observations before we start to get into it. Uh, Some initial observations would be this. Ananias was surrendered to the Lord. The scripture says he was a disciple. He was walking in the dust of Rabbi Jesus. He was obeying the teachings of God. He was a disciple of Christ. Now, let me me pause. Let me pause. Now, when we come to faith in Christ Jesus, when we repent of our sin and we— Uh, Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The Bible says that that he calls us disciples. We're to walk in the dust of the rabbi, each and every one of us. And he calls us as disciples to be disciple makers. Did you hear that? Every person has the assignment, you and I alike. I'm not just the only one that is to be a disciple maker. Each and every one of us that sit in this room, that calls ourselves born-again followers of Christ, are to be making disciples disciples. Now, I was telling Nick this morning that I think one of the problems in the church today, where Jesus gives the great command to go make, go make disciples of all nations become fishers of men, so many churches have become keepers of the aquarium, and we're missing out on the call of God. We, we want the aquarium to stay cute, but God says, I want you to go out and fish. For others, I want you to go share the gospel with others. Ananias was a disciple, and he was a disciple maker. Uh, He was walking right with the Lord. He was listening well, and he was available for whatever assignment God had. I started thinking about that in my own life. I'm like, am I walking right? Am I listening well? And am I available for whatever assignment that God may throw my way on any given day? That's what he's called us to. Now, let me break down the text with you, verses 11 and 12. God's command to Ananias, I want you to get up, and I want you to go. That's all he told him. I want you to get up and go. He speaks directly. Ananias answers directly. Here I am, Lord. Can I tell you something? Sometimes when the commands of God come our way, they may not always make sense. Sometimes when the commands of God come our way, it may create a little inconvenience in our schedule and in our lives. Ananias was just chilling. Ananias did not want to go see this troublemaker who's killing Christians. I guarantee you that wasn't part of his plan when God gave him this vision. But he said, I want you to get up. And I want you to go. I remember when I got out of baseball in 1988, my last year of playing. I didn't know it was my last year of playing until January of 89, until I get the certified letter in the mail from the L.A. Dodgers that say, you've been released. But I traveled up to Indiana to visit Indiana in January. Indiana is a very attractive place. The beaches are beautiful in January. The sun is always shining. It's sarcastic, if you will. So I go there, it's cold, it's far from Georgia. They don't serve sweet tea or grits. Mama's crackling cornbread is not served in Warsaw, Indiana. And I remember after I visited there and came home, I felt like God was saying, get up and go. I'm like, I don't know anybody there. I don't have any relationship there. I, I, I don't know about that one. He said, get up and go. So a couple of days later, I packed my little 1982 Mazda pickup truck with a little camper on the back that had shag carpet on the deck of it. And I drove that little truck in those frigid conditions to Warsaw, Indiana, which is about two and a half hours north of Indianapolis. Can I tell you something? I was pumped of what God did in my life while I was there. He matured me. He grew me a lot. Uh, That's where I met Barb. We would get married when we lived in Warsaw. But while we're in Warsaw, things were going pretty good, and God says, Get up and go. Like, where? I want you to move back to Atlanta. I've called you to reach Hank Aaron with the gospel, and you're living next door to John Deere. Get up and go. So, Barb and I packed, and we moved to the Decula area. Back in 1993, on Rachel's first birthday, we moved to Georgia. She didn't know anybody. She would sit there at times and cry I don't have any friends here. I don't know anybody. It was tough. So we started building that ministry, and God said, get up and go. And so we were doing what God, we felt like God was telling us to do. And so we had been with that ministry 20 years. I was executive director. Things were really going well there. We had great staff throughout the nation. I had relationship with GMs and managers and coaches and players and all across the board. And then all of a sudden, 2010, I felt like God said, get up and go. I want you to walk away from this. I want you to pastor locally. And I'm like, Where? So get up and go has been part of our journey. And God says without faith it's impossible to please Him. Because those who come to God must believe He exists. And He rewards those who diligently seek Him. And can I tell you something? I'm not like some spiritual giant or better than you are. But I can tell you this. I've never, never, never resented stepping out in faith and obeying the Lord. He says I want you to get up and go. I want you to move. And so that's what? God said to Ananias. Now, I want you to see uh, Ananias' concern. Ananias' concern was, uh, you, you, you sure you want me to talk to Saul? I know his reputation. I know his track record. He's been killing people. He's hurtful. He's harmful. He just got documents that said he could incarcerate any of us and bind us and bring us back to Jerusalem. He hesitated. He balks at what God is telling him to do. I started thinking about that, even in taking those step faith of, uh, uh, steps over the years, stepping out in faith. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to trust you. Can I tell you, I've hesitated at times when God's asked me things to do. I want you to go over and sit down with these people. I'm like, I don't want to sit down with them. I, I, I don't like that person. Uh, they're a hellion. They're mean. Uh, they they dog cussed me up one side and down the other the last time I met with them. Go, go, go over and sit down with them. No, no he's a drunk he's a druggie he's packing he might shoot me <laughs> y'all ever use those kind of hesitating kind of statements you want me to share with him yeah you want me to get into his grill with him y- yeah and you've got to pray through that because i think oftentimes each and every one of us if we're not careful we hesitate Came to faith in Christ in October of 1985, and I went back to play ball in 1986. And can I tell you something? God was saying, share with your teammates. And I'm like, how? I don't know enough. I haven't had enough study. I haven't had enough schooling. I haven't had enough equipping. Go share with your teammates. I started sharing with my teammates. Can I tell you something? Some of those guys prayed to receive Christ. Others rejected it. Others told me that I was crazy as whatever. You ever been there? And it's like, man, you might, be, you might be rejected. You might be shut down. You might be mocked. You might be ridiculed. I remember when God was asking us to leave UPI after 20 years. Barb came here twice, and she visited the church. I was doing stuff uh, in, throughout the nation. And she goes, I really feel like if God was ever calling us to pastor, here would be the church. And I said, really? And so I sit here, and I sit down with Steve and the finance team and others and started looking at this church. I'm like, they've got a muddied reputation. There's been betrayal. There's been uh, a history of immoral stuff that's happened here. And then I'm starting to look at the spreadsheet from a math equation, and I'm like, there's 70000 behind on it, their mortgage. And Barb and I fasted and prayed for a week, and I remember God saying, you got concerns. If I call you, I'll cover you. Say say what? If I call you to do this, I'll cover you. Even when I read D.L. Moody's own uh, testimonial uh, record of what happened when he came to faith in Christ, Edward Kimball said he walked past the shoe store and said, nah, 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 I don't want to do that. Said he walked around the block and he had to work himself into believing that that was the assignment for him. And he said he finally... Walked into the store and got up the courage, Edward Kimball, to share the gospel with D.L. Moody. He said he had to work through it. He had hesitation. Can I tell you something? That's normal for each and every one of us. God, I got a concern here. But then you see God's compassion in verses 15 and 16. He looks at him and says, hey, 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 Saul is a chosen instrument of mine. I'm going to show him how much he will suffer for my name's sake. He's going to take the gospel to the Gentiles. The Gentiles were not cut in on the deal. Matter of fact, if Gentiles were not cut in on the deal, none of us would be sitting here as believers in Jesus Christ, a bunch of Sooners and mutts, dogs with no pedigree that got offered the message of hope. And he says, I want you to go down there and share with him, I'm gonna use him. And can I tell you something, Ananias got to be a part of a radical transforming story that God would change in the person of Saul to Paul, that Paul would end up writing the majority of the New Testament. And little did he know when he took that first step of faith, what God was teeing up for him that day. And I'm amazed even today that how God would use weak vessels like you and I to be able to take the good news of the gospel to other people. We're not qualified, certified. We just get sanctified in Christ Jesus, and he says, now, go, 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 go do this. I look back, and I'm like, do you regret moving to Indiana? No. Do you regret moving back to Georgia? No. Do you regret coming over here and becoming lead pastor at the cross? No. I have never regretted one time stepping out in faith and trusting God. And can I tell you something? If we all rallied together, I believe in you. I believe that Christ in you is stronger than you could ever imagine. I believe if each and every uh, one of us rallied together as a body of believers and we became Ananias' to Loganville and beyond, and we started taking that message of hope and that message of healing and that message of restoration, I believe we would see this place explode. I believe baptizing 10 and 12 people would be the norm every week, not something we did every two or three months, if we all believed that God wanted to use us. And so really the tension starts to build inside of us Do I really believe that God would use somebody like me to share his hope with other people. I, I, I want you to see Ananias' commitment. There's a key word right here. It says that he departed. God spoke to him. I want you to get up and go. Ananias got up and went. And, and, and the amazing thing that happens is when he gets there to this house that God's told him to go to, I know Saul's blind. He can't see. He probably could still swing. But anyway, he gets there, and he lays hands on him, and he calls him brother. That's a family term. That's an affectionate term. That's a compassion term. Hey, brother Saul. Can I tell you something? Everybody that belongs to Christ belongs to everybody else that belongs to Christ, if you've repented and responded to the gospel, I'm your brother. I'm just your brother. You're my brother. You're my sister. When I sit there and listen to Nick share today, I'm like, it's crazy that he's 18 years old, but he's my, my, my brother. And he calls him brother. I love you. You matter to God. God told me he's going to do something in you. God has shown me that he's going to do something with your life. Hey, brother, can I tell you something? We would do well to start looking at people as family, with compassion, with care. I was telling Nick this morning, it blows my mind, though, as I've studied what an authentic disciple of Jesus looks like. I want you to think about this. A person that authentically walks with Jesus, there's gonna be two things manifesting in their life constantly. Lost people are gonna be attracted to them and you'll see that person sharing with lost people and having lost people in their life. Second thing is that person will be mentoring and discipling other people. Two things i look at in people's lives. Are they sharing with lost people, and are they discipling saved people? Because in the church, oftentimes, people want you to be a keeper of the aquarium. No, 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 no. The authentic disciple's life, they're sharing with people that don't know Christ, and they're discipling young people that do know Christ. In the church, oftentimes, you'll get ridiculed, you'll get ripped, you'll get All types of slanderous negative statements made. And when it comes from people, I I look at their life and stop and I go, what lost people are they reaching and what saved people are they discipling? Come on. So Ananias was a part of God doing something. Why do so few people that call themselves Christians, why do so few ever go out into the world and share the gospel with lost people? I think one of the major problems that I see with our people, and I see this across the nation, is people battle fear. There's some of you that sit here week after week, and you know, the reason I won't do it is I fear rejection. I fear the loss of relationship. I fear that I don't know enough. Can I tell you, when God helped me overcome my fear and sharing Christ, I was about six months into the faith. And when I realized that that person who was lost their need for healing and hope was greater than my need to know exactly how to share the gospel with perfection, I started sharing it. When I realized that God did not need me to articulate everything perfectly, that saving people was his gig anyway, go tell that person about me. Uh, I don't even know what to say. Just, Just trust me in the moment of the now. I was out in Arizona all week. It's been a crazy week. I was there Monday and got back yesterday. It's it's trippy. I was talking to this one kid. He's 20 years old, pitcher. I'm talking to him, and I try to set up 30 minute sessions with as many guys as I can, just to get to know their story. And I looked at this guy and I said, uh, after about 15 minutes of dialogue, I said, "If you if you were to stand before God today, do you know for sure where you would spend your eternity?" He goes, "I don't, Tim." I said, you really don't. Do you have any assurance of salvation deep in your heart? And he goes, I don't. What's your marinade? What kind of spiritual background you got? Catholic. I mean, I went to church basically on Christmas and Easter. I got you. So I share the gospel. I open up the Bible, and I just share the gospel of the love of Christ with him. And I looked at him, and I said, "Uh, let me challenge you to do something. You believe everything I've shared. You believe everything God says to be true in his word. I would challenge you oh, nail down your salvation. Nail down the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord and ask him to be Lord of your life. Whether you do it now, whether you do it later today, over these next few days, I challenge you to do that. This 20-year-old young man looked at me and he said, can we do it now? So they're sitting at just this table, he and I, he prayed. I said, I'll lead you, but you say your own stuff. And he prayed and asked Christ, To take over his life. You think he was scared in doing that? I get up Friday morning. I go down to have breakfast. Residence Inn. Not a bad place to stay. But anyway, I go down to have breakfast. I'm sitting there eating my breakfast. This lady walks over. It's about 7 o'clock in the morning. 10 o'clock here. 7 o'clock in the morning. I'm sitting there eating breakfast. She goes, how's everything? I said, everything's great. She's got a resident hand shirt on. Name tag. I'll call her Cheryl. I'm like, uh. Hey, good morning, Cheryl. How are you doing today? She starts to talk. I'm doing fine. Da-da-da-da-da. I said, uh, based on your accent, you're not from around here. No, I'm from Connecticut. How long have you been in Surprise, Arizona? Been here for a year. Oh, really? So what made you move to Surprise? Well, I was going through a lot of stuff, and I just needed a change of scenery. Really? What kind of stuff were you going through? My husband died after... 40 years of marriage. My sister died six months later. I tapped out. I had to get away. So you just landed in surprise. Landed in surprise. What's your spiritual background? Grew up with a little Baptist church. Are you pressing into Jesus though, and really locking into Christ right now? If you have that background, I'm really pissed off and mad at him right now. You are. Why are you so mad at him? Because he's not mad at you. He he, he loves you. She goes, my husband dies. We had talked about retirement, what we were going to do. My sister dies. My heart's crushed. I'm mad at him. He's, He's not mad at you. Jesus loves you. And Jesus has been chasing your heart. And Jesus really has been pursuing you. We live in a world where sin disrupted humanity at every level. And death is a part of it. And I'm so sorry your husband died. But Jesus loves you. There's a pause. She looks at me and says, can I tell you the real reason I moved to Arizona? Sure. You know those psychics, those people that claim that they can talk to the dead? I don't know them, but I've seen them on TV. Well, I went to one of them. And I really believe that she helped me talk to my husband who was dead. And when we were talking, my husband said, move west. At least that's what this psychic said, so I moved west. Do you believe in that? No, ma'am, I don't. But I believe if you had to move west for Jesus to become real to you, I believe he would allow that to happen. You see, Chesterton said, every man that knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. She's looking for God. She's looking for answers. So she moves to Arizona. What she's looking for It's Christ to to make her whole and complete. But can I tell you something? Conversation after conversation is teed up for you every day. What's your name? Where are you from? What's your story? And I did that with guy after guy. Hey, I don't know you. I know your name. How old are you? Where are you from? So are your mom and dad still living together? How long they've been married? You got any siblings? Hey, guys, look at me. It's not rocket science. God may be wanting to use you right now in somebody's life to be an Ananias. And you're looking at it saying, but I, I, I've got this fear. Fear causes us to lose perspective. Fear causes things to become clouded for us. But you could be an Ananias going to a shoe store this week to take the good news of the gospel to a future Dwight L. Moody. You don't know what God wants to do with you. But it's obedience in the moment of the now. You know, I was thinking that in order to do that, each and every one of us have to confront fear and we have to live a courageous life. I read a quote this week that said, the courageous may not live forever, but the cautious do not live at all. was reading that thinking man what a powerful word the courageous may not live forever but the cautious will not live at all they take no chance they take no risk they they play it safe and I'm like God is calling each and every one of us to step out in faith I've come to realize that when I confront my fears it creates a deeper dependence on God for me I have to yield and bow my will to the Holy Spirit I have to surrender that Christ is big enough Christ is strong enough. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything I can ask or think. So when I bow my will in dependence, it strengthens me in my walk with Him and helps me overcome fear. Have you ever noticed that? You start to tell your story to a lost person about how God has redeemed you and saved you and made you a new creation and how he's forgiven you of all that junk in your trunk. And God has uh, restored your heart back into intimacy with him. And you start to sit there and joy and, and peace and excitement starts to bubble up when you share it. You know what it does? It creates deeper dependence. It makes me want to depend on him more. When you share your story with other people, there's got to be like this this jubilation of your heart that happens. Oh, man, he loves me. Like Nick said, he loves me. God's been good to me. God God has restored me. God has protected me. Perfect love casts out all fear. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear it's giving you a spirit of power, love, and sound mind. John would write in 1 John, there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives it all out. Perfect love now dwells inside of me. Yes. Remember this. Let's start wrapping things up. Remember this. Number one, saving people is God's idea. Can I go ahead and get that cat out of the bag? It's not his will that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. There's no pressure on me when I share his goodness with other people. Saving people is God's idea. It's not my idea. It is the great commission that he shared with all of us in Matthew 28. Go into all the world and make disciples. Can I tell you something? Your ability to articulate something perfectly, the power of the gospel does not hinge on that. The power of the gospel is strong enough to save people. Just share your story. Share your redemptive story. Share how Christ has rescued you from the domain of darkness and transferred you into light. Transferred you out of miry clay and put your feet on a solid rock. Just share your story and leave the results up to him. Saving people is God's idea. Paul would say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's God's power to salvation that to everyone that believes. Number two would be this. Jesus was rejected. Don't take it personal. Is every person you share with going to come to faith? No. When I shared with that 20-year-old guy, he responded. He repented. Was that up to me? No, that was up to the Holy Spirit. When that woman walked away with tears in her eyes saying, I got to get back to work. Was the outcome up to me? No. Only thing God was telling me to do was share the gospel. Just share the love of Christ with her. Who's up to the results? God is. Are you going to be rejected at times when you do it? Yes. You would think that a personal encounter with Jesus would guarantee saving faith. We talked about the rich young ruler a few weeks ago. He has an encounter with Jesus, and the scripture says he walked away sorrowful. Can I tell you something? Your obedience cannot be tied to the outcome of how other people respond. Go down to the shoe store and see what happens. Get up and go. Let's go. And we do. Matthew chapter five says, "'Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you "'and utter all kinds of evil things against you "'on my account,' says the the king. "'Rejoice and be glad. "'Your reward in heaven is great.'" They persecuted the prophets before you. Some of us are afraid of being attacked. Some of us are scared. And we've gotta overcome that fear to say, it's okay. Their need for hoping healing transcends my my comfort. Right. Take the gospel, Nick, to Walnut Grove High School and wherever you go, my friend. Here's another truth: the Holy Spirit will always give you the words to share. The Holy Spirit's gonna give them to you. Jesus even told the guys in Luke 12: when you go out, don't, don't worry about exactly how you're gonna say it. Trust the Holy Spirit Christ in you to give you the right words to share. My buddy Blake's an Uber driver. Blake comes to me all the time and he's like, dude, the stories that God is allowing him to experience driving people in an Uber cab. Man, I talked to this dude. I had a chance to pray with this one. This, these people were raising hell party and I picked them up. They were drunk. And they needed a ride. They're like, is that a Bible in the back seat? One of them started crying. And the other one was not into it. <laughs> Come on, Blake. My buddy Blake's sitting right here. I mean, he, he, he tells me stories. He, he's like, dude, you got to hear what happened the other night. He goes, I feel like God's calling me to do this so that I can share Christ with random people all the time. Dude, why not be Ananias amongst the cab drivers? That's your shoe store. Keep walking in the shoe store and sharing the gospel. I don't know how the conversation is going to start. I don't know where the conversation's going to go. I don't know how it's going to end. But if I'm obedient in the moment of the now... Trust the Holy Spirit. Fourth thing is, remember, God will always be with you. I am with you even to the ends of the age. Wherever I am, there's always four. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are always with me. So I can sit there and talk with Cheryl at the residence inn, realizing there's four against one right now. We're not teaming up on her. We're just loving her. Wherever I am, God's with me. He never departs. He never forsakes. I'm like, check it out. Here's some things I wrote in closing. Obeying the Lord. Your obedience will always reveal what you truly believe about God. It did with Ananias. It did with Edward Kimball. It did with D.L. Moody. It did with Wilbur Chapman. It did with Billy Sunday. It did with Mordecai Ham. It has with Billy Graham, Franklin Graham, you name it. What you believe is always going to be revealed. When we go through tension and things get tight, what we truly believe is going to be revealed. What we truly believe, who we are, get exposes in the midst of tension. Two, your obedience determines whether you will experience God working in and through you. You can't stay where you're at and go where he wants you to be. God is always going to create disruption and some tension that calls, causes for adjustments that's going to lead me to action. God, I'm willing, I'm willing to own what Isaiah said, and I'm willing to own what Ananias said. Here I am, Lord. Here, here I am. You can use me. You, you can send me I may have to work through my own hesitations for a few minutes, but I'm game. I'm so pumped for like Bobby and Shelley and, 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 and others, Butch and, and Richard. I mean, we're talking about starting to celebrate recovery and I think you guys told me there's like 25 plus people already signed up and showing interest in this small group. Recovery at the cross, recovery at the cross, battling sex, alcohol, uh, whatever drug addictions, porn addiction, whatever it's been. And people are going, I, I want to get in that Christ-centered 12-step kind of recovery thing. They'll be back at the table at the end of the service and people are saying, man, I need help. Can I tell you something? It takes a step of faith. that pulls you out of your comfort zone. We've never led this before. I know you haven't because we ain't ever had one before. Y'all guys are grassroots. And y'all came and said, we're willing to do it. Y'all are becoming ananias to the broken down and some of those blind eyes are going to be able to see because of how God works in and through you. Man, I'll look at that and go, thank you, Jesus. Come on. Whatever is going on in your life, we want to help you. But what you truly believe about God is going to be revealed. And it's going to determine how God works in and through you. Uh, last thing. Obedience is costly and rewarding for you and those around you. I was thinking about this. When I obey the Lord, it's going to cost me and those around me, but it's going to be rewarding for me and those around me. When I step out in faith and have to trust God, I don't know how to do this. That was my argument. Do what, pastor? Man, we got it going on here. Our ministry's strong and we've got a great team and I've never pastored before. I, I, I don't even hang out in a local church that much. I mean, I'm out and about doing chapel and locker rooms. And I mean, I'm not there every Sunday, Lord. Get up and go. And when you get up and go, it's like he says, no man after putting his hands to the plow, Michelle, no man after putting his hands to the plow and looking back is fit. Don't look back. Just, just stay with me. Trust me to do something with you. Can I encourage y'all to become Ananias's this week? Jehovah is gracious. God's going to tee up opportunities, sniff them out, look for the opportunity, and when He tees them up, just say, "Can, can, "Can I share the hope that I have within me?" Don't allow the mind monsters of not knowing enough or your lack of knowledge or whatever. Don't 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 let that chain you any longer. Share what you do know and watch God do the rest. Watch him do the rest anyway. I believe God is wanting to unlock some of y'all to free you up to take the gospel to your world. Go take it. Go to your shoe stores this week. Be an Edward Kimball. Be an Ananias to your world. Y'all with me? I pray that today's word encouraged you. And thanks for joining us Uh, on this uh, broadcast today. If we can help you in your walk with Christ in any way, feel free to contact us here at The Cross Loganville. Our email info at thecrossloganville.org or you can call us 770-554-3322. God bless you and I pray that you have just an incredible day.